The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The Gospel of the Lord. After a beautiful Ash Wednesday here at St. Paul's, we find ourselves in the first Sunday of Lent, kind of staring down a tough 40 days ahead of us. Now, usually, at least my experience at St. Paul's, spring break has always come right in the middle of Lent, which is a nice little reprieve to kind of take your mind off of school, get a little chance to break, but even that kind of takes your mind away from Lent. But this year, Easter comes at the end of spring break, which means we have a whole Lent ahead of us to kind of chance to really kind of get in for the grind. I tell people that I both love and hate Lent. I love it because I need it. I need it in my life because I need to be challenged. I need to get away from my own will. And I see how weak I am. And of course, because I'm weak, because I don't like to give things up, to kind of create penances, I struggle, right? We fight internally. And that's good. It's a beautiful thing to fight, to struggle, to realize that We need God's grace, and that in this life we are in a battle. We're in a battle for our souls, and we're in a battle to order and rightly order our passions, our desires, to give them over to the Lord, and that is what provides such great peace and such great freedom. And so as we kind of look forward to this Lent, what do we we see ahead? As I was preparing and praying this week about just Lent and many just kind of questions about kind of life and death. I just was once again reminded of the assurance that our faith gives, that there's not a single question that the human heart can ask that is not addressed by our faith. And I would argue even that there is a certainty, an assurance that our faith gives us in some of the most important questions of life and some of the most important things we need to kind of be looking at. And today I just want to go through three kind of themes of certainties or assurances that our faith offers in the wake of what life brings us. And so those three things are the sort of certainty of death, the certainty of God's salvation for us, and the certainty of temptation. These are three things that you will experience, I pray. The first is the certainty of death. Not a pleasant topic to talk about, but this is what happens on Ash Wednesday, right? We receive ashes on our forehead, and we are reminded that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. 
that this life doesn't last forever. And when you think about it, this question of death, this question of suffering, is one of the deepest questions of life. Whether you're a Christian or not, great minds in every culture have kind of wrestled with this concept with death. And I was actually just recently reenkindled with my great love for a specific book in the Bible that addresses this question of death immensely well. It's kind of a, uh, I was thinking about giving you guys a little poll of how well we know our Bible, right? Because Catholics notoriously are terrible at understanding Scripture. And this book that I'm talking about is a book called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. And if I were to take a poll, you can think in your mind, have I read Ecclesiastes? Do I even know what Ecclesiastes is? And if you don't, sweet, you've got a great homework assignment. Because the book of Ecclesiastes goes like this. It's looking at life from a philosophical perspective. And the conclusion that the author comes to, forgive the kind of bluntness, life sucks. Life sucks. There's no hope. We're all going to die. How's that for a pleasant book of scripture, right? Because it's wrestling that says even in the good things of life, when we experience wealth, friendship, pleasure, at the end of the day, we're going to die. And then what? Even if I work really hard, I'm going to die. And then what? And I just think that's an okay and it's an important thing to wrestle with is death. And this book, I encourage you, one of my hopes actually at St. Paul's, this being my last semester, is to leave you all a gift, which is I'm working through a project of a recording of every single book of scripture that gives you a short overview of how to read and interpret this book. And you can have that on Spotify or Apple Podcasts whenever you want it to know how beautiful scripture is and how important it is to ask the deepest questions of life. Because the questions at this book of Ecclesiastes is pretty much the reason why people reject the faith on campus. Because it seems that there's no answer. It seems life is too cruel for us to face reality. And then on campus and other places, you have this thought, well, what, who could possibly know what happens after death? There's no way we could know And therefore, we just kind of have to go through life with this agnostic view. And yet it's so amazing. Think about this. Your faith, and only your faith, no other faith in the history of the world, no other philosophy, is predicated upon the truth that someone died and came back to life. That someone experienced death in all its fullness and then came back to tell us what we need to know about life after death. So anyone that says we can't know what happens after death, that's crazy. We certainly can know. We do know Jesus died and rose from the dead to show us that death is not the end. And that's the second point, is the assurance, the certainty that Jesus offers in baptism. Baptism is that which flips death on its head. The first and second readings point beautifully to the understanding of the Old Testament story of Noah, showing how they were saved through water. And then Peter says in the second reading, baptism now saves you. 
You have been saved through the waters of baptism. What does that mean? That means you have been saved from death. That you don't have to fear death. That once I am baptized, death has no more power over me. And now death is something I don't exactly look forward to, but I know that it's a passageway to new life. In Rome, in St. Peter's Basilica, the kind of heart of the church, the baptismal font is in the back left of the church. It's absolutely beautiful. It's a large Egyptian porphyry. Um, basically, it was a covering on top of an Egyptian sarcophagus that the pagan Roman Empire, you know, hundreds of basically centuries, sorry, millennia ago, when Rome conquered the Egyptian people, they brought many things from Egypt. And so this sarcophagus is sitting in Rome, and what the Christians did is they took the top, the covering of this sarcophagus, and flipped it upside down so that it makes a basin, of which water then is in there, and you're baptized. Death is flipped on its head through the waters of baptism. And so much of Lent is preparing especially for those that are going to receive the sacrament of baptism at the Easter Vigil. And this year we have more than I think we've ever had in the history of St. Paul's. 20, possibly more, people, new creation, new life, saved through the waters of baptism. Certainty of the sacraments. Now, just because I am baptized doesn't mean I will reach salvation because we can very easily and far too often do reject our baptismal graces. That we say, yes, I know, I was saved, but what does it matter? A good priest buddy of mine who's actually a grad student, he got a PhD in medical physics, and as a PhD student at the University of Wisconsin, was loosely coming to Mass here and there not too often, he was asked to be a godparent for his nephew's baptism. And he was sitting there watching his nephew be baptized, hearing the baptismal promises, and it struck something in his mind. He said, I was baptized, and I haven't lived up to these promises, and I want to live up to these promises. He went to confession, asked for the grace to live up to his baptismal promises, and has never looked back in following Christ, and Christ eventually called him to be a priest. Just by that tapping into the power of his baptism. And I encourage you over this Lent, and especially Easter season, to renew your baptismal promises. Just Google baptismal promises where you promise to reject sin and evil, the power of evil. I reject you. I reject you, Satan. And I look to Christ. I encourage you to celebrate the day of your baptism. April 2nd, 1994, literally in this exact location at St. Paul's, 30 years ago this April, I was baptized. And my life changed forever that moment. Then once I was an adult and then really found the power of my baptismal graces, then my life all of a sudden changed even deeper. The certainty of the power of your baptism, just waiting to be tapped into. But lastly, the certainty that we faced, especially in Lent, is the certainty of temptation. It is a guarantee as a Christian that when I'm baptized, it's not that everything just goes away. In a sense, it gets harder. 
And even the temptations of Christ that we kind of read from every first Sunday of Lent comes immediately after Jesus is baptized. The Spirit descends upon him in baptism, and then the Spirit leads him to the desert where he experiences temptation. We as Christians experience temptation as well. And how do we experience this? Gregory the Great in the 5th century wrote a beautiful treatise understanding how these temptations afflict us. And he says there are three steps to temptation. The first is suggestion. The second is delight. And the third is consent. Suggestion, delight, consent. So first that I just have a suggested idea. I made this promise that I'm going to do this. And then this idea comes, well, why don't you do something different? Suggestion comes, you don't have to give up meat on Friday. That's silly. You don't have to really follow your Lenten practices. You don't really have to go to Mass. And then delight, oh, I would have a lot of free time. That would be nice. And then ultimately we consent. We choose fully with our will. Now, as it says, Christ was tempted. In what way was Christ tempted? Christ was tempted by suggestion. Satan says, do this. But Christ stops the temptation right there. He does not give in to delight, and he does not give in to consent. And such is possible for you and I, baptized into Christ. People have all sorts of weird suggestions, strange suggestions, ideas that come into your mind. And I think it's very good news to know that's not sinful in any way, shape, or form. It's an attack of the evil one. It's your own imagination gone wrong. But that is not sinful. Only when I start to delight and attach my will to it does it become sinful. So when I have these suggestions to do this or that, get them out. Call upon Lord. Call upon the Lord. Jesus uses the word, be gone, Satan. I reject you as I rejected you in my baptismal promises, and I choose Christ. Every time you are met with a temptation, every single time, without fail, Christ gives you the power to succeed, to not delight, to not consent. You have the power in Christ to face temptations. And so this Lent, draw upon your baptismal graces. Be certain that, yes, this life will end, but not for me because I have been claimed, redeemed, saved by my Lord Jesus Christ. And now I can live through every single temptation that comes my way. I don't have to succumb. And that's the attitude that will get you through a beautiful Lent, that will lead you to such peace, to such joy. It's not easy, but it is that simple to call upon the name of the Lord in temptation and to trust that he can save you. He did it once at baptism, and he wants to do it every single day of your life until the day that he is with you forever in heaven.